Yeah, so I was just, you know, walking through the car park after work. A friend of mine um, from bar school um, who I hadn't seen for ages just sort of bounded up to me. Um, he was like, hey, Neil, how's it going? Um, I hear you're one of the rising stars of the civil bar, he said to me. Um, and I'd never heard that before. But what happened when he said that to me was I heard in my head your stars rising in the wrong field. My name is Paul Harvey, and this is Life, Passion and Business. We're about helping you explore, finding your passion for life and the work that you do. But it's so much more than that. It's about finding clues to the big life questions. What does it mean to be successful? What is the meaning of life? If you're looking for more, then join me on this journey, where together we will discover through interviews, tools and tips, how to live life full of meaning, passion and purpose. What happens when life delivers a message so loud, so clear that you have no choice but to take heed? It is rare to get a message that clear. And to some extent, you need to be open to hearing it. My guest on the show today is Neil Seligman, a mindfulness coach, author and public speaker. And as you will have heard in the intro, he had a sudden realisation that the career he had chosen was the wrong place for his star to rise. Getting into the legal profession is a long road. And in Neil's case, it was five years of study and eight years in practice as a civil law barrister. For those not familiar with the British legal system, that means he gets to wear a wig and a black gown. Giving it all up to become a mindfulness practitioner before that word even had a meaning was a big step into the unknown. As a young man, Neil was academic. It all came so easy to him. At university, he loved acting, sports and just living life. And he was shepherded into a legal profession as it was more lucrative than acting and very similar. I say that with a smile on my face. But as I mentioned before, you must be open to change to hear a message. And Neil was not a stranger to the alternative sector. He discovered Reiki in his teens and went on to become a Reiki master way before he was a barrister. So he was already bridging two worlds when he heard that message and made the decision to leave. But changing from what is seen to be a solid career does raise questions. He had to confront all of the preconceptions from family and friends and his thoughts and feelings around money, identity and meaning. In our conversation, we explore that journey, the soul searching he went through to find his path. Let's join the conversation with Neil Seligman. Delighted to be with a guest today. I am with Neil Seligman. Now, I know he was in the legal profession. I also know he's an author and a presenter and a speaker. And I know life changed for him as it does with all my guests. And we're going to explore that one. So thank you, Neil, for being with me today. Thanks, Paul. Great to be here. So look, Neil, what's the story? This is life, passion and business. We're all about that journey that we take in this thing that we call life. How did it all begin for you? I know legal professional, wasn't it? You were studying hard, man. Yeah, yeah. So um, I suppose I got um, somewhat shepherded into uh, a legal career because I was I was quite bright um, and academically it seemed like a good good option. Um, and um, ended up as a barrister in my twenties, working in London. Um, but with with some other sort of deep interests that weren't going away as well. Mm-hmm. But um, hang on a minute, look, 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 let's, let's go. Going to be a barrister, and well, being a barrister, anything in the legal profession is a serious commitment. You know, it's not something you 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 take idly, is it? Because it's like it's a lot of work, a lot of money, I'd imagine, to actually even do that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I was, I haven't got that much common sense but I did a bit <laughs> <laughs> um so it, it like the the academic sort of part of it wasn't that tricky for me I have okay. to say um you know whilst I was at uni I was having a pretty good time um I was doing lots of acting and um you know going out a lot and and having fun and all the things that you do and loads of sports and tennis and all sorts of things um 
so yeah so that that wasn't you know the hugest of, of barriers really mm-hmm. um you know obviously you you have to apply yourself a bit and getting into a chambers um is is a really tricky kind of um thing to do and there's lots of competition and blah 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 and you know somehow i uh, sort so of look, like... this this podcast is international, so look, we need to be yeah. careful because I mean, the, is the UK legal system particularly unique in terms of you have to get into a chambers and this sort of stuff, or is is that is that the same everywhere in the world? Yeah, no, it is. Um, it is a bit of a crazy system here. Uh, it does it does sort of pop up around the world a little bit in Australia and some other places, but um, yeah, it can be quite foreign to a lot of people. So yeah, you've got lawyers, and in this country. Um, the subsets are solicitors and barristers. And so if you've got a legal problem, generally you go to see a solicitor um, and they'll help you with it. And then if your legal problem has to go to court, then often they will instruct a barrister, not always, but that's kind of the breakdown of it. So as a barrister, you're generally a specialist trial advocate. Um, and how does that differ from say the US legal system? Because I know this, this podcast has a big US following. So for them, what, what's the parallels on that? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, I'm not an expert in the American legal system, but they don't have the same breakdown. I think you can, um, I think you can represent clients, you know, all the way through their legal problem and into court, should it go that far. Um, So there's less of a division. um, And, you know, they certainly don't have the sort of wigs and gowns and paraphernalia of tradition um that we're we're clinging on to here so um you know but you know the same you know legal work is legal work you go and argue the case judge will you know let you know how it went judgment yes yeah okay so you you've obviously did well because you found yourself uh in a in a a chambers so you've got your wig you've got your gown and you're now able to perform do you, well perform in court <laughs> pick up the acting stuff you did in court <laughs> yeah well that did seem like you know um, you know quite a good outlet for that um and um you know it's a reasonable way to make some money as well whereas acting was a bit more hit and miss i think from a sort of commercial viability perspective um and um yeah, so you know, I was I was in it. I did love it. You know, it wasn't that I hated my my job. I think it's a wonderful profession and career, and um, you know, loads of challenge there. Mm. Um, but just after after a while, I kind of realised that it wasn't going to be everything for me. Um, and I'd always had some other interests as well. So actually, before I became a um, a, a lawyer or a barrister. Um, I'd become a Reiki master, which, um, you know, was another slightly random thing that came across my path quite early on. So this was, um, I think it was 1819, uh, when I studied Reiki and I was out in America at a kid's camp. Um, and so Reiki is a kind of an energy healing kind of system. Um, you might've come across it mm. in a spa or you know sometimes if you go away you know on holiday there'll be a reiki sessions uh, available that sort of thing on retreats that sort of thing it can be available um and i had a reiki session from this australian guy which kind of blew my mind <laughs> um and really piqued my interest so much that i wanted to train in how to do it and um, so i did that and yeah, so even by the time I was a barrister, I was I was already a Reiki master, which sounds very grand, but actually you can train quite quickly to become a Reiki master. It, it's more, you know, it's more really how how much experience you've got as a Reiki, you know, as a Reiki practitioner, which is more important than the title. Um, but uh, yeah, so there was there was definitely a couple of streams of interest that were um, online. Just exploring that a minute, because it was like I mean, you know, what, there's there's obviously a you enjoyed the barrister work, you enjoyed the legal profession, the challenge of it. And there's a passion involved in that, or there's not there's a passion, but a passion, but there's a there's you're getting fed by that somehow. But it, it strikes me as Reiki and, and the healing side is a completely different aspect of it. Yeah. One is very analytical and very, very thorough and about precision. And the Reiki stuff is not necessarily about precision. Is, is this a balancing act of your personality? Um, so, yeah, I mean, the other sort of uh, way to look at it is, you know, being a, being a barrister is quite combative, mm. uh, you know, as a paradigm. It's really based on the paradigm of, of war or battle when you go into court and, you know, you 
sling. Yes, I know. guess you're trying to make someone decide which bit's true, aren't you? Yeah. So, you know, there's quite a, you know, there's a sort of aggression that lies behind mm. our legal system in that model. You know, we have other versions of mediation and things like that becomes more collaborative and conciliatory and things like that. But, you know, there's sort of that end of it is very much a sort of war going type of mentality. Whereas Reiki is, um, you know, it's all about healing and relaxation, witnessing. And, <laughs> you know, it's very much at the other end of the spectrum mm. um, in terms of human capabilities. Um, and, you know, I'd go so far as saying that I was almost fractured <laughs> into two roles um, at that time in my life because, and it really sort of landed, actually, I'd be out, you know, with drinks or something like that. And somebody would be asking me about being a barrister and I'd be chatting about it. And then um, somehow it would sort of segue into Reiki. Um, and there were a couple of times where people said, whoa, you like completely changed, like your whole body language, your voice, everything just completely changed when you started talking about that. And I was like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so it was very much like I hadn't found a, a way in my 20s to um, I suppose I was just exploring those those two different paths really quite um, newly. Hadn't found a way to integrate them, to bring them together in myself as a human being, so I could hold both, <laughs> which I think you know, is quite a, a useful thing to be able to do, to be able to, you know, the spectrum between nice and assertive, it's quite a useful spectrum, mm. just as a communication skill as a human being, to, to be able to feel comfortable and stable in. Mm. Um, but yeah, that kind of point of integration in my own persona, my personality, who I was, my identity was a bit confused. And I suppose that's kind of what your 20s are for. So looking back, I can maybe sort of give myself a bit of a break. Um, but at the time, it's a bit uncomfortable. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So how did it so how did it evolve? Obviously, you're now in a profession which, you know, if, you, if you're in the inner chambers and as a barrister, you know, the, the, the way is up. I mean, you're going to you, you are destined for dizzy heights in the legal system no doubt well um yeah i mean i was i was doing well and um you know reasonably um you know sought after as as a barrister and um but that kind of wasn't enough for me and mm. it was in fact a conversation around that which um which really spurred my transformation um so uh, there was this is about eight years in um and um, so you're close you're getting close to your 30s at this point i guess yeah 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 which is the transition point that a lot of people have you know is that in in uh in spiritual terms they call it the, the saturn return oh right i don't know that oh okay well, okay. well saturn is born in, if, in astrological terms saturn is born is a 28 year cycle right and so when it comes around, when you get into the 28th year, it takes two years to pass through your birth chart. And everybody has this rattle in those two years. It rattles oh, their life. Well, that does make sense. That does make sense, Paul. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was just, you know, walking through the car park after work. A friend of mine um, from bar school um, who I hadn't seen for ages just sort of bounded up to me. Um, he was like, hey, Neil, how's it going? Um, I hear you're one of the rising stars of the civil bar, he said to me. Um, and I'd never heard that before. But what happened when he said that to me was I heard in my head, your star's rising in the wrong field. Oh, you wow. have to leave. Wow. Yeah. How did you hear the difference? Well, it was clear as day. Like, it was like a gong going off inside of me. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, um <coughs> So that was it, really. Um, I, I almost could do nothing else but listen to that. Um, and um, so I basically, you know, it took me about five months to wrap up my practice, but I left. Um, and um, Did people kind of question your sanity on this one? Yeah, yeah, particularly my parents. Yeah, I'm uh, sure, because it's like you've got this amazing career and you're wrapping it up after five, it's like... You know, it's like, I'm surprised I didn't check you in somewhere. <laughs> I got a lot of that. I did get a lot of that. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, I wasn't completely mad. So I, I took it 
initially as a sabbatical. Ah, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. To Chambers. Right. I'm yeah, going to take yeah. a year out. Yeah. But in my heart of parts, I knew I you wasn't were, going back. Yeah. Returning. Yeah. And what was interesting is um, it was about five months into the sabbatical that I had the strongest feeling that I had to resign from Chambers. Um, it was almost like I couldn't really move on until I'd cut the cord. Mm. Um, and actually that email was the hardest thing to send, not the um, having the insight or planning to you know, take the sabbatical or whatever, um, but resigning from Chambers and making it final like telling them I'm not coming back. Well, you're committing and cutting a bridge, aren't you? You're, yeah. you're, you're burning the bridge yeah. behind you. Exactly. Um, so that was really hard, but I just felt compelled to do it. Uh, and so I followed it and, um, and well, here we are. So what happened? How did it, how did it evolve from there? I mean, you, you, did you have a plan? So not much of a plan. I, I do help people through career transitions now as a coach, but um I do not use what I did as an example of how to do it. It's more of a sort of a few no, that, that I think yours is more akin to jumping off the cliff, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you a... did, I guess you must have had some resources behind you because you can't work in the law for that many years and not have a bit of, bit of something behind you for it, a bit of resource. I had a bit behind me um, in terms of property, but I didn't have a lot of cash behind me. Oh, yeah, that's the problem. Because uh, uh, I was quite sort of, you know, high spending in my 20s, having a good time. Um, So, yeah, there wasn't much of a financial cushion. That said, the crazy way in which we get paid as barristers over here did mean that I got a trickle of money in from cases that I'd completed for about the next five years. Wonderful. Um, because, I mean, it's not that great, actually, if you think about it. It's basically people not paying you on time. Oh, OK. All right. Yeah, OK. It's that, not that, that about yeah, okay. yeah. Um, But in that situation, it did seem to be that, you know, a check would come in the post at the moment that I really did need it. Um, so, yeah, I'd love to say that, you know, I had that spiritual insight I had to leave and, you know, jumped into something brilliant and successful and wonderful. But it obviously didn't happen like that. Um, I... I basically had about two or three years of not knowing what was next at all. And um, luckily I'd met my meditation teacher who I'm still a student of um, some 13, 14 years later. And um, she sort of led me on this process, which started with letting go of all of the discipline, Um, just sort of letting myself return to a more sort of organic, natural flow state um which was quite uncomfortable in in itself because I had all this sort of adrenaline in my body from you know the sort of relentless career of being a barrister and then suddenly there wasn't really anything to direct it towards um so yeah that took a while to sort of get through but it wasn't until 2012 so this is some three years later that I had the um inner meditation received like the name of the business the logo and that it would be centered around mindfulness. So that came in 2012 and that's when I founded the conscious professional. Um, so yeah, it was a bit of a, a bit of a journey. What was that about you learning to be the conscious professional? Um, I, I, I don't know is the honest answer to that question. And um, when it landed, it felt very, um, clear and right but I did also feel a bit like oh that's that's a sort of paradigm that I'm not sure if I'm ready to embody you know even as just those words the conscious professional like am I saying I am the conscious professional so the beginning I would very much say well it's not me it's a paradigm that we're moving towards um so I feel more comfortable with it as a um as a sort of model now um but yeah I did sort of have to grow into that and also the idea that I was going to be teaching mindfulness came as a bit of a surprise as well, because mindfulness was not a thing in 2012. No, it wasn't, was it? <laughs> so I was like, it just drops off the tongue these days. And everyone goes, oh, yeah, it's mindfulness. It's, even, it's, it's probably, yeah. it, probably even a word in the dictionary now. It never used to be. But uh, So, I mean, what is the conscious professional? Was it something that you were leaning towards? I mean, because it's quite, it, that sounds, 
that could be taken in any kind quite a lot of contexts yeah so um what it sort of boils down to is bringing more awareness to the world of work that's mm. really all it boils down to and one of the foundational practices in order to cultivate um awareness is mindfulness mm. so that sits very <clears throat> centrally uh within the work um so yeah it's really been you know i suppose looking back at my journey you know i had those two different strands going on at the same time but it sort of left me able to sort of stand with one foot in either world and to be a bit of a bridge so you know a lot of people in the um legal sphere um you know i may have been the first person to lead them in a meditation and they might have trusted me a little bit more to do that because i used to be a barrister so it kind of made sense looking back on that journey um that you know there's a, a sort of credibility piece that i needed to get under my belt in order to then stand in those rooms um, with those people who you know might not otherwise be drawn to these types of concepts or even give them the time of day frankly so, so um, is that how you focus on that that you work w- within the legal profession itself particularly yeah not exclusively but a lot of my um, clients um, are law firms um, and you know as well as you know, other types of profession professionals consultants and mm-hmm. um, all sorts and it's not exclusively that but yeah I, I think because I was in the law and um, you know it's a good it's a good way in so w- what does it look like this i mean what, what is it that you're bringing to these people and what is it you brought to yourself really that you then take on to other people um so a lot of our, a lot of our trainings um are not just exclusively the sort of what is mindfulness and how to do it but it's the you know how do we apply mindfulness to our current you know challenges at work um whether it be kind of communicating consciously through the pandemic um whether it be approaching change and transition um you know our sort of most popular session through the pandemic was um mindfully navigating change and uncertainty um, which is kind of a workshop which takes us through various experiential practices and bits of theory and learning and so on um, to help us kind of notice what's going on for us and to become a bit more intentional about what we're doing, maybe be inspired to, um, you know, take some steps towards uh, our well-being and, you know, all those types of things. So, yeah, it's really the application of, I suppose, the philosophies that sit within mindfulness to professional life and skills. Mm. Um, you know, the, the other aspect is, is around conscious leadership, which again is really just bringing more awareness to leadership, um, which ultimately is bringing more awareness to ourselves and, um, you know, exploring our own triggers and roadblocks and, you know, the things we find difficult. So what's that, what does that look like for you? Because, I mean, this is about the story, about the person, about the journey that you've had. So what's been the, the shit bits for you then? How have you negated, na- navigated them? What, yeah, the challenges along yeah. the way. Yeah, what's happened to yeah. you? Because, I mean, yeah, it's, 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 yeah you, you, you stepped out of that world and into something which is a lot more unstructured. Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, the letting go of discipline and identity was really hard. So the sort of phrase, I am a barrister, um, when I got rid of it, I noticed how powerful it was as a phrase because I no longer had it. Um, and so I was then sort of looking for the sort of, I am a what, <laughs> like, what is it that I, well that is the question isn't it it's like when we start this podcast i have to have a label for you because people want to hear a label i i can't just say this is neil and he's a nice guy no 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 one want to listen they need to know something about you oh oh right he's at that he was at that you know they need it's like how do we it's a really fascinating thing how do we communicate as humans without putting a label on us well i think you know if if we really got down to the vibrational light frequency of who we really are, <coughs> we would be, you know, nonverbal anyway. But, you know, we are 
creatures that live through stories that are inspired mm. by stories um, that like seeing ourselves reflected in others being inspired by people who are not like us and those who are like us can give us comfort and reassurance so you know I, there's a certain amount of well you know we can't get too attached to not giving information it's mm. kind of helpful um but it's yeah it's sort of how attached we are to those things and um so part of that sort of exploration for me was um you know deepening my spiritual practice and being okay with the question mark after the sort of i am um and you know going deeper into meditation um there was lots of kind of you know traveling around and you know just loosening off the sort of habitual domesticity of what my life had had become and um, to kind of freshen up who i was you know going to be and one of the first identities that i settled on actually was artist um which is actually quite a nice one i still feel somewhat attached to the artist kind of identity um because um you know i was uh, my boyfriend at the time was an artist and we ended up collaborating on some work and it inspired me to you know get much more into photography and create um, my own art process um, and that's a really kind of wonderful way back you know creativity creative pursuit into kind of rounding out who who we are and you know what's going on um, so some of the sort of stuff I've created I can look back as being sort of therapeutic there's some you know pretty sad photographs in there you can sort of track my journey from sort of being very wistful and inspired to sort of depressed and um you know terribly sad and miserable that you know sort of let go of everything and who was I the sort of depths of that there was some money worries that came along along the way as well um which interesting enough of all of the other things that the money stuff really kind of got to me in a really deep way um and um so I had to kind of then look at all my stories around money and worth and my value as a being. And, you know, it's tied to a certain number of pounds or a certain way that society would look at you. But that is, there's a, a, a whole raft raft of conversation, isn't there? It's like, you know, as a barrister, you stood up in court and you probably had an amazing hourly rate when you were standing up speaking. You were, I don't know what you were paid, but it was probably quite a lot. Yeah, I mean, it was some and time ago. Now, but, you were, yeah. but you were charging out, you know, the, your your chambers would have been charging you out at hundreds of, if not thousands of pounds an hour. I just, and I know there's a whole machine behind all that, but there's still yeah. a lot associated with your hourly rate. And yet the cleaner that cleaned the office probably put, earned a tiny fraction of that. Now, what's to say the cleaner's worth is any less, any more or less than yours? It's fascinating yeah. how we we put values on these things. And yet if the cleaners stop doing the cleaning, the place fills up with shit. <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah so i mean i got to sort of live out the exploration of that question yeah and kind of worth and value and what did you discover um i discovered that i've always had enough yes and that i am enough yes Those are the two things i discovered and um, they're quite sort of quick and easy to say, but they're quite profound. You know? They're actually very hard to hold and settle with. Yeah, it's I a great the, question. The whole like, concept I've... of enough is really difficult. Yeah, but often, you know, if I'm struggling, I will come back to the question, do I have enough? Mm. And am I enough? And, you know, pretty much the present moment usually has everything I need, even, you know, if it's only at the most sort of fundamental level. Um, and if I look back over my life at all of the times in which have been the sort of lowest and the most difficult, most challenging, there's always been little angels there. I'm not talking spiritually, but um, you know, people who've showed up, who have been with me in those times, um some would say and, we're always someone's angel yeah exactly like even in those really <laughs> terrible times i had everything i needed um and yes i wouldn't necessarily jump straight back into that and say that was lovely but you know there was a sense of being looked after through that journey 
and inevitably when we you know decide to remake ourselves in you know some sort of very new way there's going to be a lot of things that need to die off for the new to be born um which can be uncomfortable mm. and how did you deal with it what was what what always what was always the saving point of it for you um so i'd say four things <laughs> um my dog um so about the time that i left we got a puppy mm -hmm. uh ty and ty's still with us um a chocolate labrador and he was like a fantastic companion like throughout the whole you know throughout throughout everything unconditional uh, love and he didn't care whether you're a barrister or not exactly <laughs> go for a walk or play with the ball or um you know fully in the present moment uh, my teacher, who kind of gave me this through line that there was a process behind what I was going through so I could kind of trust and have faith that I wasn't just sort of blindly walking into the abyss. Um, my partner at the time, who was very supportive of the transition, uh, which was really um, crucial. And then my creativity that was you know, coming online again at that time, which gave me an outlet to express what I was feeling um and to yeah to see that reflected in the world that was you know those things were really crucial mm. and yeah and so do you think there's been a, a, a cycle did the transit did is there a point when the whole thing kind of settled and you think yeah it was that you mentioned the meditation when you had it all all come to you didn't you um so that was that was when the idea was born for the business mm. Um, but again, it wasn't, um, like an immediate, oh, bang, now here's like loads of success and clients. Hmm. <laughs> that was in 2012. Um, and my first corporate client was in 2014. Yeah. So <laughs> that was, yeah, that was, um, you know, slow. And, um, you know, I suppose I look back on it and... <clears throat> I was um, not just sort of creating a, a business and not as a businessman, really, you know, legal training, but not as a business person, um, but also in an industry that didn't really exist yet. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm not sure if anyone, you know, if someone was sort of externally advising me, I don't think many business people would say, oh, you know, this is a good idea. <laughs> um, you're onto a winner there. But again, because I was doing it from this process of um, allowing it to merge from my meditation practice um, and trusting that, I did go with it. Um, and um, even though it was very slow, it does feel like it was the right creation and the right thing to nurture. So where are you now with it? What what is it? What how do you define your world now? Are you still an artist? I am still an artist, although because of COVID, I, uh, my artwork requires quite a lot of contact. Um, so I do this soul portrait um, process, which involves photography, but also reiki and movement and fabrics and stuff. So I haven't been doing it through the last year and a bit, um, but. Yeah, that will definitely come back. Um, and um, that's something I really, really enjoy. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, again, I, I sort of say yes to whatever label people put on me because <coughs> there's, there's lots of different things we could you know, call me. But, um, you know, I'm running a business. So in some sense, I'm sort of got a bit of an entrepreneurial streak as well. Um, and, you know, like many during COVID who are, you know, going through, um, you know, it's difficult with events and everything. It's been a, another huge sort of transformational learning journey through the, um, this period. Um, and, um, yeah, it's kind of exciting to see not just how, you know, the business has changed, but how the world has changed and what seems, um, possible and you know where things will go from here there's you know some more question marks than pre-covid 
when it seemed like the trajectory was like, oh, business is growing and booming and you know, things are going in a good direction. Suddenly we sort of fell off a cliff and then gradually sort of fought it our way back a little bit. Um, so, you know, very much a sort of um, field of potential moment. I'm not quite well, sure. I get the sense that I mean, you had your awakening moment when you were you know, in the car park talking to your friend as a, as a, as a barrister. I, I get the sense that a lot of people have had awakening moments over the last 18 months. It's like, quite, what am I doing this for? I mean, there's quite a lot of that, that like sense of the normal probably was a bit abnormal, especially when you, when you suddenly had to stop and do, you know, and thought, I don't actually need to do that anymore. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because what it's sort of really focused everyone into is the question, what's important to you? Um, and when we're really busy, sometimes we don't have enough time to actually listen to what the answer to that might be. Or sometimes we we know the answer, but we don't want to listen to it because we're <laughs> attached to the busyness or, you know, the fun of it or, you know, what other perks come along with it. But this period of sort of... Um, it's not really been a pause because people have been working really hard in very different ways, but, you know, a slightly, you know, move in smaller circles, um, you know, not traveling around as much, less kind of all of that has focused people in a little bit on just kind of noticing, you know, if they were parents and they hardly saw their kids, they've seen their kids grow up over the last year and a half. And yeah. They don't want to lose that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it does raise the question for me is like, there's, there's, I mean, it raises it in two ways. What is the purpose of humanity? What are we here for? Because it can't just be make money and build shareholder value. It can't, it, they can't be values. They can't be the reason for the existence. No. And, and I haven't got an answer to the question. You know, what are we here for? And, and, and you know, it's like, okay, kids is one thing, but you know, my, my kid leaves home in three weeks. It's like, Okay, my job is done. No, it's not done. You know, uh, you know, and you know, I go round and round and round in circles in these conversations. It's like the other one is humanity worth saving. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's a big question, isn't it? Yeah, it is, this isn't it? <laughs> meaning of life. It's sort of like, well, life's not really asking that question, is it? It's only humans that ask the question. Yeah. What is the meaning of this? For me, it's sort of it's where I go with that question is into the paradox that life is infinitely precious and entirely meaningless. Mm, that holds, nice. yeah. holds the energy for me of, of my, I suppose, um, where I settle on that question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a different question, which is, you know, what makes life meaningful to an individual? And then we can all answer that ourselves. And, you know, I would say love relationships connection um the ability to create it's kind of this magical thing that we are all creators and we get to kind of do it again every day that i think is pretty special um but in terms of the meaning of life i don't think our you know human brains can actually hold even the question appropriately so it's the paradox that gets me closest to a sort of still point of okay, I can deal with that. Let's let's use that as the working point. It does strike me as humanity needs a common cause to work towards, and we don't have one. Yeah, but we've got to be careful. We've got to have a, a, a love based cause. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't I don't because common stuff. causes in the past have always been war, and I don't fancy yeah. that one. <laughs> that's that's the danger isn't it yeah we might all rally around something and feel connected but let's try and choose the right thing yeah let's, let's do that one so look i'm enjoying our conversation so i, I have to be careful not going down rabbit holes so it's, but but i'll 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 bring myself back onto onto target how do you measure success for yourself now because once upon a time success is winning the case yeah yeah um although that's a bit of a um tough one to, to go with because you're only as good really as your as your the case itself um you know as long as you're a decent enough advocate then you know the court should get to the right result based on the witnesses cases would be really easy to win if it wasn't for witnesses <laughs> <laughs> um but um 
yeah, in terms of now, I, I've sort of shifted my goalposts a bit from chasing success to chasing alignment. Um, something I teach actually, because you know, I feel like a lot of us get gifted this uh, paradigm of success that we're all meant to scurry after, um, which sort of leads us into a state of permanent comparison. Um, you know, uh, and often wherever we get to on, on the scales, um, no matter how wonderful it might seem to someone else, often you're thinking, oh, it's a bit rubbish because this person's got more than me or they're more successful or there's this other position I could get to or their yacht's bigger than mine or, you know, whatever. So we can get really lost in that sort of comparative journey. Um, whereas what I teach as a sort of antidote to success is, um, is alignment, which means every time we come into a decision or a sort of fork in the road, you think about, okay, well, which, which path is going to take me closer to myself? So, you know, we've got the being, which is primary, and the doing, which is secondary. Um, if we get to know our being really well, then our doing can more and more closely align with our being. And then when we're aligned or more aligned, that tends to have the sort of nice outcomes of feeling purposeful, um, and that we're making our contribution, that you do it anyway, that it's fun. Um, all of that stuff, I think, comes when, when we're really just kind of doing what, what we want to be doing, you know, to make it really simple. Mm -hmm. Which brings me lovely to the next conversation, this question point, that contribution issue. How do you see you cont your contribution to the world? Um, I like to um, hope that I'm... I'm sort of helping nudge some people towards their happiness, really, um, and into, into themselves, helping them feel more comfortable in silence is something I feel quite strongly about. So, you know, sort of on a bit of a mission to teach the world to meditate one person at a time. Um, and, um, you know, I think this kind of resource of being able to settle into silence, to listen there, to look after ourselves, is actually pretty fundamental to how we then um, operate in the world, how we you know, relate mm. to others and <clears throat> form our intentions and create stuff. So that I would be very happy if I did some of that on the way. And how do you contribute to yourself? Um, well, contribute to myself um, in pretty thorough ways, actually. Um, I've got a pretty strong well-being regime, uh, meditate every day, um, gym, fitness. I've got a teacher, coach, healer. Um, you know, I make sure that I, I try and inspire myself through conversations and networking and, and travel when I can. Um, you know, I've got a really important uh, loving relationship with my partner of seven years dog still going strong he's 11 now um but um yeah i i worked out and it took me three years to work out that unless i looked after myself um thoroughly i wouldn't be able to be really of service to others and uh, it took me that long to learn. My teacher was sort of drilling me with this sort of self-nurture conversation for three years. And I just thought it was nonsense, selfish, rubbish. <laughs> and then eventually I got it. And um, it does make it does make sense. You see yeah. that so often. You see it in business so often. People who, who work hard, they don't, don't support themselves or self-care themselves at all. And then they wonder why they end up with you know, conditions and illnesses and all sorts of bits and pieces because they're just not taking care of themselves. Yeah, and of also relationships, you know, it has an impact, doesn't it? The biggest gift I can give to my partner is if I'm already looked after myself, you know, if I've already sorted myself out. Yeah, I and mean, that's one thing I, I recognise as a parent very early on because I was only ever going to have one child. And I recognise if I wasn't there for every stage of his development, that time would go and I would miss it. And there was no going back on that. Yeah. And so effectively, I, I, I held my own career business back, but I didn't. I, you know, I, I have built a relationship with, a, with my son that is second to none. And, and, it's, and, and I'm paying, you know, paying dividends for that now. But I see people who are, are um, thinking they can get the time that they can pay it back later. You can't. There's some things yeah. that you can never be repaid. So you're right. That contribution to yourself is, is just that. It's wonderful stuff.
I love that you talk about meditation a lot. How many years have you been meditating? Um, 24. Oh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. You have been. You've, you've started really early. Yeah. Yeah. No, I bought myself a book. Um, teach yourself to meditate as <laughs> a teenager and um, yeah started it I'm not sure why but yeah so you say that you have a real strong spiritual practice oh yeah it's the central core of everything yeah yeah and I guess and I guess the part of the self-care aspect as well in many respects I guess that's wow yeah absolutely so look What's the one question you like people to ask themselves? Um, or you can have it, what's the one question you like people to ask you? I don't mind, but it's the same thing. It's a platform question. It's like, what, what is the one thing that is important to you, what you want to talk to people about? That's interesting, because the question on your website is, what's the one question you wish people would ask? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, it, and it can happen in any way, this and that. And, I, and that's why I keep restructuring it, because people keep going, have you thought about it this way? And I'm going, so I, I, I give it to you however you want to answer this question. Yeah, but I thought about it the way that I understood it from that. And yeah. my, my response was, um, help me understand. Okay. Because I think a lot of, um, a lot of conflict in our world comes from communication where people both think they already understand each other's point of view and are clashing over it. But those three words help me understand like where you're coming from. So powerful at getting into um, a, an energy that is capable of producing harmonic agreements. Mm, I love that um, mediation technique where you, get someone to say something and then you say what I heard you say was this and tell that and it's so often you you know I've been the mediator in the middle of that and you and you hear what someone said and you hear what they heard and you say they don't match <laughs> why don't they match <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. Um, yeah so I think that's that's a useful question the uh, the question um for asking yourself yeah so this is one because um, it's been really helpful for me um, is do I do that? Do I do that? So when I'm getting irate at someone else, I ask myself, do I do that? <laughs> the thing that they're doing. Yeah. And quite often I do. <laughs> <laughs> and so if you can nail yourself in the moment whilst you're irate at the other person, it can really help you de-escalate and get a third party perspective kind of on it. I have to say, talking to you, you seem so chilled. I can't imagine you getting irate. Well, I can get irate at things, <laughs> but I mean, that's one of the good reasons that I practice mindfulness is it helps, right? I used to, <laughs> one of my mindfulness cues is the, you know, when your computer does that spinny wheel thing. Yeah. So I used to have a really slow computer. I've changed it now, but I used to get that a lot. And I used to get, used to drive me bananas because I'm in the middle of doing things, which is doing it for ages. And then I realized I could take the, the little wheel as a mindfulness cue. And so whenever it appeared, I practiced meditation and it, it's like multicolored, it's like a beautiful mandala actually. Mm. So you can just watch it go round and round as a meditation. But that kind of actually really positively impacts my daily life yeah if i could make that little shift yeah absolutely yeah yeah. yeah 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 but do i do that also helps good question <laughs> and then we all we all have those moments when you know as you say when when the red mist comes down <laughs> been there so all right let's uh oh i don't know just lost myself in in, in my own my own thoughts there what is it you're looking for and who you want to talk to in the world? So um, from a sort of corporate perspective? Yeah, from your business perspective, what is it you, you do and who you talk to and who do you specialize with and how do you help? Yeah, so we work with um, teams and businesses 
um, helping them to bring mindfulness into the workplace and connect it up with their professional skills. Mm -hmm. um, so we create bespoke professional resilience trainings. Um, we do stuff on digital well-being and emotional intelligence. Um, we've got some communication stuff. We do stuff for, for lawyers um, around negotiation. And it sounds like you're saying we, you have a team with, with you these days. Yeah, so there's a, a group of freelancers um, that support the conscious professional as well. Um, and yeah, there's a small admin team as well that work with me centrally. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the, the corporate arm of things. We do coaching with um, mid-level and senior leaders, um, helping them to bring the principles of conscious leadership into their management and leadership styles. Um, and um, yeah, we also... Um, uh, we've got an online course coming out called Zen in 10, which is uh, probably be out by the time the podcast comes out, actually, and um, is a 10 day mindfulness challenge for people that think they can't meditate. So um, that sounds yeah. nice. So how do they how would they find all this stuff, these materials? So corporate side is the consciousprofessional.com and a sort of general portal into my world is neilseligman.com. Lovely, lovely. And are you on social channels? Yeah, yeah. You find me on Instagram, Neil Seligman, um, LinkedIn. Always love to connect. Is with your dog? There. Is your pictures of your but, dog uh, on there somewhere? What's that? Are there pictures of your dog on there somewhere? There will be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You're going to get hundreds of followers if you've got a picture of a dog. <laughs> dogs, dogs, and cats. Priceless. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All those links will be at the website Life Passion and Business. I'm, I'm sure you can just check out Neil. You can find him on all those channels. It'll be easy to find. And as I said, as you say, by the time this podcast is live, uh, the link for that Zen challenge will be up. So we'll make sure that link is also on the podcast as well. So you can get straight to that one. So, Neil, thank you so much for being with me today and exploring this journey with me. So, I mean, we've touched on it already and I think you've probably touched on it already. But I'm going to ask you the question because I always end with this question is what's the meaning of life for you? We've already done that one, so no. But just to, just because it just because the pattern has to, it might jump to the end to find the answer. What does it mean in life for you? Tell me anyway. So I'll go back to my infinitely precious, entirely meaningless. Yeah, infinitely precious, entirely meaningless. I guess it probably it probably fits really. Neil, thank you so much for spending the time here today. It's been lovely to talk to you, mate. I really enjoyed it. Pleasure. Really nice talking to you all. Thanks. And that was Life, Passion and Business with Paul Harvey and my guest, Neil Seligman. If you would like to connect with Neil, you can find him on all of the usual social channels, LinkedIn, Instagram, YouTube and Twitter. You can also find him at his website, theconsciousprofessional.com or his personal website, which is neilseligman.com. There are loads of resources there, so do check them out. If you want to find those links all in one place, check out the website lifepassionandbusiness.com. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us on this conversation. If you've enjoyed this show in this interview type format, we drop one every Wednesday. On Sundays, I have a reflection podcast, which is all about something that I have discovered throughout the week. So do check those out. You can find the details of all of that at the website lifepassionandbusiness.com. And while you're there, check out the resources that support you on the journey in this thing that we call life. If you have found this useful and would like to support the show, reviews or comments on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or any of your favourite podcast apps really do help. As always, thank you so much for your time and attention. I'll catch you next time. All the best. <laughs>